Well, obviously, Christmas music is a big part of our lives. I mentioned to you last week, I like starting to listen to Christmas music like in August or September. I mean, it's something I really enjoy doing. I love that kind of music. And I think many of you are probably in the same boat that I am. Uh, You love it when radio stations change their entire uh, playlist to all Christmas music. And there are a few of those here in town. I'm not going to promote which ones they are. You'll find them. Uh, But you can also download and you can listen. I I just love doing that. And I love all different styles and different types of Christmas music. It, it just makes you happy. You know, it just kind of lifts your spirits and lifts your heart. But now Christmas music, while it's a big part of our lives, it's been a big part of lives of people throughout the generations. In fact, our, our first Christmas songs that, that are recorded, that we have any kind of uh, awareness of, go all the way back to the third or the fourth century. In fact, the first one that we really know about was written by St. Hilary of Poitiers. And uh, they wrote a song called Jesus Illuminates All. And that's the first Christmas song that we have any record of, any recollection whatsoever of that talks about the light that came to illuminate all of mankind. And throughout history, there's song after song that uh, has been written to tell the story of what took place when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago. Around the 12th or the 13th century, or when some of the songs that we even sing today came about, including the first Noel that we'll talk about in just a few moments. Other songs that came uh, out of that season, one probably you don't know that well, but it's the first one that was recorded that we actually, in some circles, I don't think we've ever done it here, where we actually still sing that song, and it's a Christmas song called The Friendly Beast, and it talks about the animals that were there in that manger scene when Jesus was born. And so we know that Christmas has always been, Christmas music has always been a big part of the season. Now, there was a time in around the 17th century when, uh, in England, when a lot of the music came from, where there was kind of this stop put on Christmas music. In fact, Oliver Cromwell decided to ban singing of all Christmas carols during his reign there in England. But then about that time, after he left the scene, there was this resurgence of of music that people wanted to, to bring back into the public square. And so in 1823... The first time that the song, The First Noel, was published. Now, it was published by, uh, of words that went all the way back, centuries before, of words that, that kind of came out of what was called at the time, miracle plays. They were dramatic uh, representations of what we find in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 that we're going to be talking about and reading here in just a few moments. And so uh, what happened is Davies Gilbert in 1823, he kind of found these these little recitations, these little quotes, these little uh, carols that were found there recorded uh, in the, the local courthouse there. The fact today you can still go to that little village in England and you can see the original writing of the words that were, that were penned to make this song. Published in 1823, a few years later in 1836, uh, uh, a guy named Sandy decided to put it out in a different way to the tune that we know it today. And it's been around in all these years and all of these decades, all of these centuries to tell a story that's so important. Now the first Noel, the idea behind it, the word Noel is the French word for Christmas. And it comes from the, the Latin word natalis, which means birthday. And so it all talks about that first birthday. Now, I just want to do quickly here, before we jump into this passage, I want to kind of walk us through, because so often, let's let's be honest, when we hear Christmas songs, we know the words, we sing along, but we rarely take the time to actually kind of focus on what they say, right? 
I mean, sometimes it's like grandma got run over by a reindeer, right? And we really never pay attention to like the, the songs themselves, right? Which, by the way, that is not one of the songs we're going to cover over the next few weeks here at Thomas Road. But I want to read through this, and I've got, it, I've got it printed out here, and I want to do this because what I do, and I think probably a lot of you do as well, if you're not a musician, right? So when you start reciting the words to songs, you know what naturally happens? You automatically kind of put a melodic tone behind it, and you accidentally start singing the words, right? I'm not going to do that because you would walk out today. So I'm going to read these words, but, but just let these kind of sink in because, again, this is Scripture put to music. Let's read these words. The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. They looked up and they saw stars shining in the east beyond them far. And to the earth it gave great light, and so it continued both day and night. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent, and to follow the star wherever it went. This star drew nigh to the northwest. Over Bethlehem it took to its rest. And there it did both stop and say, right over the place where Jesus lay. Then entered in those wise men three, full reverently upon the knee, and offered there in his presence their gold and myrrh and frankincense. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. Now, you think of those words, we know those words, we've heard them, we've sung them, but let's talk about the meaning behind them. Let's talk about why it's so important that we do sing those words, that we do reflect on and remind ourselves of this appearance on that first birthday, that first Christmas, when Christ appeared to mankind. And so let's walk through if we could. And the key verse that I've chosen today is a verse that really kind of ties right back into the song that we uh, have just walked through. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Born to you this day a Savior. Now the word Savior is a very important word because it connotes the idea that we need to be saved from something, right? We don't need a Savior unless we need to be saved, right? And so the idea here is that this baby that was born, the angels declared it to the shepherds and said that this baby is to be born. This baby will save you. And so let's talk about this appearance. Let's talk about this idea of the announcement of Christ's birth. And let's kind of connect it to where we are today in our own lives and where we are in our faith walk, in our journey, in our lives here in 2019, hundreds, thousands of years removed from that first Christmas night, that first Noel. And so the announcement of his birth, first in this passage we get this, the announcement of his birth was delivered to people just like you and me. Delivered to people that were just like you and me. Let's go now. Luke chapter 2, let's read verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now we've all heard that story. We've read it. We've seen little kids act it out. We've seen it in Christmas programs and, and throughout the years. We've seen it on Charlie Brown. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again. But it's a very important message that, that underlies that story that we just read. It talks about the shepherds who were out in the field. Now, the shepherds were obviously a very important part of the, the economy of that day. But to be honest with you, in that culture and in that day 2,000 years ago, the occupation of a shepherd had become something that was not really thought well of. 
The people looked at shepherds, they looked down on them. In fact, they were often accused of being someone who, who was a thief or someone who robbed, uh, stole things from other people. It wasn't an occupation that was very popular. It wasn't an occupation of, of people that were lifted high in the community as, as the people to look up to uh, in whatever area they were. And so they kind of worked out on the fields. They worked kind of solitary lives. They were all by themselves. By the very nature of their job, they're out there in the middle of the night watching the sheep working all by themselves, people not around. They didn't have the opportunity of being in an office and connecting with other people. They didn't have the opportunity of, you know, having their lunch hour and going down to a local restaurant where it's packed with people to build relationships. They worked all by themselves in an occupation that was not well thought of, and yet that is the group, the the occupation, if you will, that God decided to first pronounce the birth of His Son interesting to think that God chose what at the time was looked at as maybe the lowliest of society, in society, to make the statement, the announcement that Jesus had been born. Now we also see in Matthew chapter 2, if you flip over a couple of chapter, a couple of books back, in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And so you see this picture that the declaration that's found in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 of the two specific places where uh, Jesus' birth was announced. One was to the lowliest of shepherds, and the other was to a group of wise men who some believe they come all the way from Babylon. And so, number one, they weren't Jews. They weren't in that, that, that sacred people, God's people, the people of Abraham. They were outside of that. They were Gentiles. And yet God chose them to, to describe or to announce that, that Jesus had been born. And so they traveled a great distance. Now, we always use the term. In fact, the first Noel even refers to it as the three wise men. Now, you realize we don't have any idea whether there were three or not, right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that there were three. Here's the reason why we say three. It's because they, got, they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we thought that maybe a wise man can only carry one gift at a time, right? And so one wise man carried the gold, one wise man carried the myrrh, and one wise man carried the frankincense. By the way, I think the gold one, you know, he, you know, he got the better job, don't you think? But we don't have any idea how many wise men there were. We know there was more than one, because it actually says wise men, not wise man. It doesn't say wise guy. It says wise men who traveled from Babylon to come to be uh, in the place where Jesus was born. Now, we also recognize that they didn't show up on the night that Jesus was born. They weren't there when, you know, when the animals were all around the, the manger and that baby had just been born. They came far, far down the road. Much, much later, they came and traveled to be at that place. They probably came with a very large uh, contingent of people. Uh, they were very high in society. They were looked well upon. These were very important people in their culture. And so you see the picture here, right? It's that God chose people just like you and me to declare that Jesus had been born. And what this means is this. He chose Jew and Gentile. He chose people who maybe were a little bit lower down the rung of the social ladder and people who were approaching the top. He chose people from different walks of life, from different backgrounds and different places and different cultures, different races, 
to announce that the baby, this Savior that came from God himself to save mankind, had been born. The very idea that God chose people like you and me to be the the original mouthpieces of the birth of Jesus Christ is a pretty cool story. It's a pretty cool thought. It's amazing to think that God allowed people like us to be a part of that. And so the announcement of his birth came uh, to people just like you and me, but it also was confusing and scary. It was not something they were expecting. Let's go back again to Luke chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The King James says, sorely afraid. In other words, they were like really, 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 really scared. Uh, You can imagine, again, by themselves, the shepherds were out in the field, not people around. There wasn't like a a bustling society that was going on around them. They were kind of out by themselves as they were every single night. Everything was quiet. It was dark. They didn't have, you know, the the streetlights to to illuminate the, the countryside. I mean, literally, they were out in the pitch black. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, I've got to be honest with you, they weren't expecting that, were they? They weren't expecting to have an angel show up and talk to them that night. And then it says in a few verses later that a a heavenly host came. So like there were thousands there singing and praising and, and declaring that Jesus had been born. And so it says they were greatly afraid. It was an unlikely appearance with an unexpected message that that certainly caught them off guard. But let's go back to Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 and following. It says this, when Herod the king heard this, that Jesus had been born, that the wise men came to find out who he was and where he was, it says that Herod the king, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. In your Bible, you ought to underline that statement, and all Jerusalem with him. So this wasn't like some isolated story that happened behind the, the, the palace walls. It's not something that took place where nobody else was around and nobody else knew what was going on. It says that Herod was troubled. He was upset. He was scared. But the entire city of Jerusalem was afraid because this group from Babylon had showed up, a a big contingent, a, a, a huge entourage of people that arrived because they had seen a star and they heard that Jesus had been born and they came to the king saying, where is this new king? Now you can imagine Herod wasn't excited about that, was he? He was not looking forward to the rest of that story, but it says all Jerusalem with him. It goes on to say, and when he had gathered all the chief priests, Herod had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Now, here's one thing that's important. In Jerusalem, obviously a Jewish city, a city where the people there had been studying the Old Testament for decades, hundreds, thousands of years. They had over and over read the scrolls. They'd been in the synagogues where it talked about the coming Messiah, where it talked about that baby that would be born. It talked about that one who would come to to take away their sins, the one who would come that by his stripes that we are healed from the book of Isaiah. They knew the Messiah was coming. They knew he was on the horizon. But when it actually happened, they weren't ready. They weren't excited about the fact that this Jesus, this Messiah, not Jesus, this Messiah that they were looking for, that now there were people there saying, hey, he's been born, where, where is he? 
And so it says that all of Jerusalem, Herod, all of them were upset. They were worried. They were confused and they were scared. And I got to be honest with you, in the culture we live in today, not a lot of difference in, in when it talks about the relationship of Christ in our lives. So that's still a confusing and a scary statement. Now, the announcement of his birth was delivered to people just like you and me. It was confusing and scary. But the third thing we see in this, this song and this passage is this. It was life-changing. It was life-changing. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and following. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. In other words, hey, we're bringing you really good news here, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, look back in that passage, bringing you good tidings of great joy, really, really good news, and then it goes on to say, to all people. In other words, the birth of Jesus Christ is a life-changing event. It's one that changed everything because it wasn't exclusive. It wasn't for just a, a certain group of people. It wasn't just for the, the right people. It wasn't just for the people who were in, in the right place at the right time. It was a, a gift that was given by God himself, the creator God, to all people. And what was this gift that was given? The Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It changed everything. It was a life-changing event, a life-changing moment. But look at Matthew chapter 2 in verses 7 and 8. It says, Then when Herod had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, that he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now you see, this message was life-changing for Herod as well. It was life-changing because it was life-threatening. You see, for Herod, this changed everything for him because there was someone on the horizon now that apparently the Scriptures talked about. And remember, don't miss this. He actually called in the scribes, the religious leaders, to come in and tell him, what does the Bible say? It wasn't called the Bible at the time, but what do the prophets say about this baby? So Herod understood, like, this was not like every other baby born. This was like a really big deal. And it's going to challenge my authority. It's going to challenge my, uh, my, my kingdom. It's going to challenge my, my ability to rule here. And so he told them, hey, I want you to go find that baby. And when you find him, let me know. Because I'm going to come in to worship him too. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? He didn't want to come in to worship. He wanted to come and kill. His plan, his desire was to kill that baby, to, to cut off that challenge to his, uh, his rule, to his authority. And so well, we know what Herod wanted to do. We know the wise men decided, nah, we're not going to go back because God told us this is not a good plan. And we know that Herod was upset. You know the rest of the story, right? That Herod sent out an edict to go out and to kill all the babies, which of course led to Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt. But regardless, it was a life-changing event. Why? Because any time that Jesus showed up anywhere, it changed people's lives. In whatever situation, in whatever setting, whether he shows up as a baby in a manger or whether he shows up by the, the lakeside or whether he shows up in a city of Capernaum or whether he shows up in the temple, everywhere Jesus went, it changed everything. Because of the power of the Son of God arriving in a place. Which brings us to the next thing we see from this passage. Is that the announcement of Christ's birth was miraculous. It was something that no one could have expected. Now let's go in Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. It says, for we, the wise men speaking here, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
In verses 9 and 11, through 11, it says this, When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Now that last passage there is very important because it also tells us that there was a span of time that even though like all of our imagery of we have of the wise men, it's the wise men showing up in the manger scene, right? We've, we've all seen that. Uh, we've been guilty of that, Scott, right here, that when we do the nativity scene, the wise men show up. So we kind of squash it all together and we do it. That, that's not what it says. It says that when they showed up at the house, at Joseph and Mary's house, which tells us that it was a little bit different. It wasn't the manger scene here. And, and it says the young child, he was, you know, a little bit older than he was when he was born, obviously. But the point is this, it was a miraculous appearing. And here's what's miraculous about it. The wise men said, Matthew chapter 2, we have seen the star in the east. Now this is important because these were men whose, their job was to study science. Their job was to explore the, uh, the, 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 the the, the sky and to explore the, the stars and to see all of the things. To, they were wiser than anyone else. They were more intelligent than anyone else. It's the, to them that people went to find out what was happening, what was going on. Now, you go back and you see that statement for the star, the star that appeared to them. There are lots of different views and ideas of what that star was. Some people think that it was some kind of a comet that showed up. Well, the problem with that is all of the historical research going all the way back to that time tells us that there weren't any comets in the area around the time that Jesus was born. Jesus was born somewhere around 5 to 6 B.C., uh, even though I know the calendar says, you know, that there's before Christ and after Christ. Uh, obviously, back then, they didn't have the Internet, uh, and they weren't able to actually get the information out, and so it took a while for Rome to change the calendar, and so there was a little bit, a little bit off there. But he was born about 5 or 6 B.C. But the only recorded comet of that time was in 11 B.C. when Halley's Comet showed up. And so it probably was not a comet, certainly wasn't a comet, because there was none recorded. Some people say that it was a, an alignment of the star, or the, the planets that took place, which is a frequent thing. Because the planets, they orbit the earth at different speeds. And so maybe the planets, because they're going at different speeds, that it was a perfect time and a perfect moment that God ordained it so that the planets would align at the exact same moment so that it would be that star that the wise men see. The problem with that is they didn't say we see stars. They said we have seen a star. When the planets align, it doesn't appear as just one bright light. It, it shows up as multiple bright lights. And so it couldn't have been that that they saw because, again, these were wise men who studied the stars. And further, I mean, that was kind of a frequent thing to happen, the planets aligning, so it wouldn't have been anything odd for them to see. Another view is that there was a supernova. In other words, a star exploded right about that time. Now, the problem with that is that going all the back in the historical research, nowhere does it show that there were any supernovas anywhere near the time of Christ's birth, which leads us to the fourth view. The fourth idea, which is the one that I hold to, which is the one that I believe. It was a miraculous move of a holy God to announce the Savior of all mankind had shown up to come to save the world. That this was a miraculous moment. And it tells us here, and look, listen to these words. Don't, don't miss this in Matthew chapter 2 uh, in verse 10 or verse 9. And it says that they saw the star... And the star went before them until it came and it stood over where the young child was. Think about that. The star guided them. 
and led them to a specific house and a specific place and a specific moment of time where exactly where Jesus was located. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a miracle. But it's not a miracle that's hard to understand or hard to believe. Because if you go back in the Old Testament, what else did Jesus do when he moved light to show people where to go? Go back into the wilderness. He did that with the children of Israel, remember? The, the pillar of light, the pillar of fire, the pillar of clouds, right? And he, he moved the entire nation of Israel from place to place. Wherever he wanted them to go, he moved them by a miraculous light in the sky. We know that in the, uh, the appearance, of the, the dedication of the temple, when Solomon dedicated the temple... It tells us that there was just this presence of God that came down, and there was illumination in the temple. Why? Because God miraculously showed this is the presence of God. And so it's not an unusual thing, but oh, it's miraculous. Because God chose to reveal the birth of His Son, the birth of the Savior of all mankind in a way that no one had ever seen before. Now, here's what's important. Here's why this song, this first Noel that talks about that first birthday, that first Christmas, here's why this message of Matthew chapter 2 and Luke 2 is so important for us today. Because when we talk about the Messiah, we talk about the appearance of Christ in our lives today, let's walk back through and let's ask ourselves the question, is it still relevant? Well, let's be honest, that today Jesus reveals himself to people who are just like you and me. The message of the gospel is delivered to people both on the higher on the social status and those on the lower end. People from all walks of life and all backgrounds and all countries. People of all different colors and creeds. People from all different races in every situation and every setting that the appearance of Christ today is still delivered to all people, people just like you and me. And that delivery, that message, that appearance of Christ today is still just as confusing and just as scary. Have you ever had the opportunity of going out and sharing the gospel with somebody? Got to be honest with you, if somebody's never heard the message before, they've never heard that gospel before, they've never really understood what it means that Jesus came, that he died and that he rose again. I got to be honest with you, number one, it is a confusing message. It's like, wait a minute now, this person actually came and he was not a man, he was God who was born of a virgin and, and he was born and he walked a sinless life and then, and then he died on the cross and then he came back to life and by believing in him that I can have salvation? Really? Seriously? That's a confusing message, isn't it? But it's also a scary message because it leads us to make a decision. It leads us to the place where we have to make a choice, a choice whether we're going to believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of all mankind or whether we're going to reject him. So it's still confusing. It's still scary. It's still a life-changing message, right? I mean, there's no question about it. When we look at this, this statement, this story of what Christ came to do, the Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a life-changing message. The Bible tells us clearly that we have to make a choice, make a decision whether we're going to follow Christ or whether we're not. And it changes everything. And it's also a miraculous, a miraculous statement. Romans 5.8 says, For God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's miraculous because we're of no value to God whatsoever. And yet he loves us. Because we've blown it time and time again. But God still loves us. And here's the miraculous part. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 6, only two places in all of Scripture where this is referred to, a new creation, a new birth. The idea that, wait a minute, I can be born again, completely transformed, a total new being because I believed in this man named Jesus, that's miraculous, and it's true. That's why this message of Christmas is so important. It's not all about the gifts, and it's not all about the trees, even those things are fun. It's not even about the Christmas music, which we all enjoy and we all love. It's not about the lights, and it's not about the, you know, the, the, the movies, the Hallmark movies. It's not about any of that stuff. While those things are all things that point us to like this, this beautiful feeling of Christmas, Christmas is not a feeling. Christmas is God coming down to man when we needed it the most. So the question is, is the appearance of Christ in your life a miraculous, life-changing, yeah, a little confusing, yeah, a little scary. But is that the message that has changed your life? And if not, let this Christmas, let this season, let this time, let this moment be the place where you move beyond the words of Christmas, that you move beyond the melody of Christmas, that you move beyond the just the familiar, wonderful feeling of Christmas. And you bring it down to one simple statement. For unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. And this child that was born, as we've read here today, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let him be your Savior. Father, today we thank you that you gave your son. We thank you that you sent him down to this earth 2,000 years ago to be the light that we needed in the midst of darkness, to be the miracle that we needed in the middle of mundane, to be that life-changing story when we needed it the most. God, I pray that every person gathered in this room, those watching, listening today, if there's someone here that has never been changed, never been transformed by the message of the gospel of the, of the Savior who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, let that be this day, the day that they come to you and are made a new creation. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment, our team is going to gather here at the front. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing. And when we do, the altar is going to be open. And we would love to tell you about that Jesus if you're here and you've never met him, if you've never believed in him. Maybe you want to come down here today and you just kind of want to kneel here and just pray. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son. Thank you, God, for that miraculous appearance that happened 2,000 years ago. Maybe you want to come and leave a prayer request or join our church, come for baptism. Whatever God's telling you, whatever God is speaking to you today, remember it is miraculous when God speaks to us. And don't ever forget, God still speaks to us and he does it in ways that doesn't make sense. He does it in ways that will scare you a little bit. There might be somebody here today that has been feeling the call of God on their lives to go into ministry. Maybe to go and plant a church or to start a church or be a youth pastor or a worship pastor. And man, you've been fighting it. You've been kind of holding on and just kind of holding back because you're just not sure what it all means. Hey, listen, when Christ shows up, it's always confusing and it's always scary. But let me just tell you this, when Christ shows up, 
it's always the right thing to do to respond. And so today, whatever God is telling you, whatever he's speaking to you in this moment, in this place, when we stand and sing these words, I just encourage you to step out, to come to this altar, and let God change you from the inside out. Let's stand together and let's sing. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.